podcast listeners and welcome back to episode number eight. Today we have our first special guest with us and a chef. Uh, his name is Sitting. So Sitting, first we want to thank you for being here with us. We're so excited to have you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am excited to be here. Awesome. Now before we get into it, we're going to do our usual. Um, we're going to do an icebreaker. So Sitting, you can join us on today's icebreaker. And we'll actually start with you since you're the chef. The icebreaker is if you were given one food ingredient, um, well, no, what is one food ingredient that if you were given, you wouldn't know how to cook? Um, I think that it's nothing in this world that uh, I don't know how to cook, but mm-hmm. one, ingredient, one ingredient I would not, I wouldn't choose to cook it will be pork, mainly because um, my religion reasons and given the fact that I am allergic to it at a certain point. Like if I touch a raw pork, I, I start itching. I don't know I don't know the reason why, but pork would be one ingredient that I'm not a fan of cooking. That's a good answer. And I think all of us probably wouldn't be cooking pork anyway. Given yeah. our <laughs> given our yeah, our, our background being Muslims. For sure. But, for sure. Mm-hmm. I definitely I definitely completely agree. And given the fact that yeah it just you know it's just not a uh, uh, a, a protein or that I'm comfortable cooking. So anything else besides that, um, I am down to cook it. You're good to go. What about you, Ida? Um, one ingredient that I'm not too fond of, I like the way it tastes and I like when it's served to me and it's done well, but I have never been able to master it is eggplant. Mm. Ah, what? I love cooking eggplant. Oh my God. Like, you know, <laughs> It's funny to me when people say, um, I don't like this. Or I don't know how to cook this. And to me, it just I always love it because I'm like, when so, if someone comes to me and they said, you know what, I hate eggplant because I, I, don't, I don't know how to uh, uh, cook eggplant or I don't, I don't think eggplant is good. And my thing is anything in life, especially uh, uh, learning, learning about being in the corner industry for a while, like we, could turn any, we could turn anything into any sort of flavor or texture that we want. You know, I could turn I could turn eggplant, for example, I could turn eggplant into a powder. I could turn eggplant into a chips. I could turn eggplant into a, like a pudding. I could turn eggplant into like you know, it, the idea is just endless. You know what I mean? It's just like. Did, you, know, did yeah. you say pudding? Yeah, I heard pudding, and that's that caught me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what I meant is like kind of like a you know how like a mashed potato looks. You know what I'm saying? Like where it's yeah. like. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of smooth and like, you know, that's what I meant in that texture. <laughs> well, I, you have a lot of ideas now. 
I know. <laughs> also, it's like in, in our jollof rice. Some some people put eggplant in it. I've had it with eggplant. Yeah, that and that way I know how to cook it. But really, that's very limited. Yeah, for sure. How about you, Adam? What's one ingredient you wouldn't know how to cook? For me, it's artichokes. So I like, I, there's like a pizza shop in New York called Artichoke Pizza. And it's, the pizza is so good. And I also like artichokes, like artichoke dip and things like that. But when I get the artichoke itself, fresh from the grocery store, I don't even know how to peel it or how to get it to the point where I can cook it and make it soft. I know some people buy it from the can, but I don't know. I don't like canned foods that much. So that's one thing I wouldn't know how to do. Like I have all the ingredients in my head, but I don't know what to do with the actual vegetable if I were to get it. Like, how do I even peel it? Do I use a knife? Do I use a peeler? Such a weird vegetable. I don't know if you peel an artichoke. Exactly. Um, I don't know what you do with it. Actually, in uh, when I when I was working at uh, in California, it was this restaurant called um, Atelier Crel. It was a three Michelin star restaurant, and it was like nominated the 19 best restaurant in the world. Um, we used to have our own farm at that restaurant, and we used to do so many artichokes. So we have a, a dish as a caviar service, and if a person don't eat caviar, you know, artichokes would be the replacement. And we used to clean. I used to clean like 20 or 30 artichokes in a day. So I would just, I loved it. I hated it at first and I I got so good at it and I just had no, you know, I just had to love it, you know, but I love cleaning artichokes. It's just, you know. So basically everything that me and Ida can't do, you can do really well. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, you know, probably, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys have a lot of techniques I don't know about, you know what I mean? I just, Uh you know, but who knows? I have some tricks up my sleeve. Uh I believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sidin, thank you for coming here. And I was teasing you, but that's part of the reason why you're here and why you're one of our first guests um, at Joka Podcast, because you are a very talented chef, a very mindful chef, because everything you do, you definitely put your thought and, and heart into it. You're not just cooking, but you're cooking with a story. Um, and that was something that me and Ida really appreciated. We also um, appreciated how you valorize Senegalese cuisine. Um, you definitely, we, we can tell that you take Senegalese cuisine and you see it as an art form. You see it as something historical and something that um, we should sort of bring into these spaces of luxury and spaces of, you know, high culinary arts. So we definitely appreciate you for that. The way I first encountered your cooking actually was through Instagram. So through your Instagram page and you sharing your videos of you going through different recipes and things like that. Ida, same thing. She saw your videos. So thank you again for joining us. And yeah. Well, um, I am I'm grateful to, to be in this podcast. And I'm, I'm happy to when I see sisters or brothers or anyone uh, that matter that's from the motherland that's that's doing something that is a way to educate others and to give back you know and I want to support any way I possibly can because I think together we are able to conquer the world you know for sure for sure and I think and I think that uh for us you know people don't think that food doesn't have a big impact on us and it does you know and I think whatever you you put into your body it, you know, that's what you put out back to the world, you know, whether is it, you know, because if you eat healthy, you could just probably take 30 minutes walk a day or 15 minutes walk a day and do like a simple exercise and you will be all right. 
But if you're not if if you're not eating healthy, it don't matter what what you it don't matter what exercise you do, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I think, and as a chef, you know, we are trained to go to school, um, work in the restaurants, and understand the ingredients that we're using. With you know, so I think for us, especially for African American, being African, um, I think it's an opportunity for me to show people uh, what my country is really about through the food. And share my art. Yeah, and we'll give you actually the opportunity now to do more of that. So what we're going <laughs> to do <laughs> is have you tell your food story. So in our first episode of this podcast, mm-hmm. Ida and I, we did a, what we call the three-minute life story, where we had three minutes okay. to talk okay. about anything that we thought was relevant to our narratives as you know, human beings here on this planet. And we had three minutes, and it was sort of free reign. You can talk about whatever you want as it relates to your um food story so you can interpret that too what, what is your food story that's up to you so what i'm going to do is i'm going to time you so yeah. when i say go you start and then you'll have exactly three minutes so we don't care where you end up but we will stop you at three minutes so okay. be prepared for that so that that sounds good are you ready because i'm about to start it okay three, three, minutes? Sounds good. three minutes yep go awesome um, what I want to say is that um, I think I want people to be mindful of what they eat. Um, what I mean by that is that, um, you know, start looking up into healthy way of eating and understanding when you buy any ingredients in the supermarket, you know, look at the back of the soup, uh, the ingredients. That's what what's, it was in the ingredients. To me, it's very important, you know, because I think food is power, you know, and also, as a chef, not only did I want to cook healthy food, but I want people to understand that West Africa, especially Senegal, where we're from, has so much to offer to the world. And I think oftentimes people don't realize that, you know, but people look at Senegal as a country that, that doesn't have nothing to offer to the world. And to me, it's very sad. And mainly, Senegal has amazing cuisine. Uh, uh, amazing, uh, they amazing music, and like in the culture, the ambiance, the uh, what we call it, we call it teranga in Wolof. You know, Senegal is just we love hospitality, love, love hospitality. So I think food is something that it means a lot to me, and is a way, is a way of communication, is a language, is a way for me to educate uh, others about our culture, is a way to connect people that's afraid to go to Africa, you know? So, and that's one thing about, one, the one, one other thing I love about food is that when people are sitting on my event or eating my food and I see them, they get, ha- I see, I see they spirit, how they look and how they react with the food. To me, it's, to me, it makes me, it makes me, it makes me feel happy. It's like, a, a, it's something that a paycheck, no matter how much money you give me, it can, it can never buy that. It's happiness that it can never be bought, you know? And honestly, that is that is like one of the reasons why I do what I do. And I think, and one other reason is, if I don't become successful, hundred people in Africa won't become successful. The reason why I say that because I want to help. That's the amount of people that I want to help. So every day I wake up with that encouragement on my back. So I have I put that so I put so much responsibility on me. So so I could push harder and faster. So. Um, Eventually, I will able to give back my community and my country and show people what Africa has to offer. 
but yeah, and that is, uh, I guess, I think that's three minutes there. Um, you got, I guess you guys can move on with the next question. You finished actually, very, you're very um, succinct. You had 20 seconds left, but it's ah, okay. 20 seconds. Because okay, I no have a lot of, we have a lot of follow-up questions for you. So you'll be talking mm-hmm. some more. <laughs> No worries. Then plus, plus, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, share too much at the beginning. You know, you want you want mm. you want people to you want people to know what's going on. You know what I mean? People, you want people yeah. to, you know, to tune in. Yeah. So it's like this is the appetizer, right? And now we're going into the entree. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like you don't want to come. You don't. You don't want to come to a restaurant. You're hungry. I'm just serving you dessert. Like what? You know what I'm saying? I, you want to. Yeah. You want to mm-hmm. see what that appetizer about. You want to see what that what that entree about. You know what I'm saying? So before you get the dessert. True. Feel that. Ida, do you have any follow-up questions for sitting? I do. Um, so I love Food Network and I'm always watching their shows. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite shows on Food Network was Chopped. So when Adam said you have 20 seconds left, the first thing I thought about was like, ooh, 20 seconds is a long time if this was chopped. Like <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's inflating your mm-hmm. food. <laughs> Hmm. That is a good, that is that is a good point. But for me, is that um, every every time when I do something, even like if I'm cooking, like for example, when we uh, when you the restaurant that I'm working at, when you work at a Michelin star restaurant, if you cook in the eggs, if you cook in the artichokes, if you cook in anything, even some of the seasoning, everything is down to a T. So, um, like let's say if the chef say, "Hey, Serene, pick up a pasta," for example, you know. And I know exactly how long it takes to cook that pasta. So if he asked me, man, how long is that pasta? Allah vazi, whatever, you know. And I was like, chef, 30 seconds. Or chef, one minute. You know, and that one minute, I'm accurate. So, mm. I, so I try to practice that with everything that I do with my life. And it just makes me, uh, it makes me better with everything I do. Because, it make, you know, I, I get more alert and be more responsible. That's awesome. And it matters, too. It does. It does. It does. It does. I have, you know, it matters a lot. But yeah, I guess that's my that. Question, <laughs> my question for you, sitting is is about you because when you were giving your three minute life food story, you didn't talk about yourself. You talked about how your food makes other people feel. Like you're very, you're a very altruistic person, a very giving person. You're a very caring person. It's it seems based on mm-hmm. just that that three minute or two minute um, story. Okay. And it shows, like, <laughs> you're, you're focused. Like, you focused on the communities you're helping, um, th- these larger systemic levels about, you know, food and health and all of that. But what about you? Like, why do you cook? Um, where did, when did you start cooking? Uh, who motivated you to get into the kitchen? Uh, what about your culinary education? Like, tell us more about who you are as a chef. Your, um, if someone were to write your book, I will write your book if you let me. But if someone were to write your book, where where would it start? Where would your biography start? Hmm. Well, thank you about that. I will keep I will keep you in mind. You're in, <laughs> okay. about the book. <laughs> but um, oftentimes I don't know for some reason I realized the reason why I got into this culinary thing it was never about me. Um, and I say that often in this, which is the reason why like me and my dad now have such a great relationship because mm-hmm. I I look beyond just me and i told him if it was just me i could i could i could spend uh i could make seven dollars an hour working 40 hours a week and i could survive because i don't need much in life because as a kid growing up you know i was born in i was, I was born in new york harlem like any every other kid you know what i'm saying by the time i right before i went to senegal like what i remember was like dmx rough was being popping you know like 
And then, <laughs> you know, like him, who wanted we got to come and get it, family ready. Oh, you got to do it, said it. You know what I'm saying? And then, like, next thing you know, boom, they shipped me to back home Senegal where I didn't knew I was near, I was not near my mom, I was not near my dad. And a few weeks later, or maybe a month, because I was too young to recognize, to know the time zone, the time, like, what time, the, and then I was taken to a boarding school where I didn't see mom, I didn't see dad. Um, and it was, it was absolutely tough. You know, um, I did a mistake once and share that experience, uh, with someone else and they got an award through the, you know, so I'm very mindful about when I talk about that experience. I mean, but it's, it's absolutely very tough. I was in a boarding school for about 10 years of my life. I went to three, three different boarding school. Um, it was hard. I mean, to be, uh, as, as a five years old, not seeing both your parents and, you know, you get hit. Don't know if breakfast, lunch is guaranteed. You know what I mean? And it was just tough. And given the fact that, like, I didn't understand the world. So at the beginning, learning was very hard because I couldn't pronounce certain things. I couldn't say, ah, bah, ja. Like, it was, it was, it was different. I was learning, I was, like, learning A, B, C, D, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and then now you have to, you know, it was a completely different thing. You know? And then even, you know, I was, I was young, you know, training how to write from, left to right and now I got to go right from right to left so all that it was hard but um eventually when I was about uh nine or ten um the la- like the last boarding school that I went it was all men in all the boarding schools and I was all men the one I went to the last one was um uh a daughter that um that was mostly to um tarbiya. Tarbiya, how can I translate that in English which pretty much basically mean that um like it's like a discipline perfect way to say it. and they're disciplined and and that school we all wear like bailat you know which is like a the the murit uh style of 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 clothes wearing and we had to watch most of the time our own laundry um we, man cooks so if this man do dishes uh this person like clean the fish you know this person um do the uh the marriage the seasoning so at that thing at that time that's what was my that that was my first introduction of cooking, mm-hmm. you know, and also my mom used to come uh, to Senegal visit uh, off you know like maybe like once a year or whatever, uh, but when she does when she did come when she did came to Senegal, um, her house was like the gather the place that you you wanted to be. It was the hot spot in the in the late nineties, you know, because she was she was. She was doing her thing in the early '90s in America, and she came back. She came to America, I think, uh, late '80s. Uh, and then when she came to Senegal, all these singers was at my mom's house. I'm talking about Fat Gewel, Kinelam, Kumagola. You know, like like every, everyone knew her. Like I'm even uh, Nongolo. Like Nongolo was, you know, it was like. So I grew up seeing. I grew up seeing like, I was in a boarding school, but yet grew up seeing my mom host these amazing event, and then. It just, you know, it's for me as a kid, and you know, these these are the things that stuck with me. You know, mm-hmm. it just I just saw the amount of joy that it it brought others. You know, so um, after um, board and, and boarding school, maybe around like ten, eleven, I I had the opportunity to start making lach, which is um, something very simple. But yeah, if you that at that young of an age, you have that much responsibility to cook for like three to three hundred people. That's a lot. You know, it's a lesson you. Not even fifteen yet, and you're responsible to make it a dinner for that many people, you know. And the worst part about it, whether it was good or not, people loved it. You know, it was what's no other lach? option. Because we have some non Senegalese listeners. Sure. So, yeah, so, so, so lach, lach is pretty much is is basically a millet and uh and sour. It's basically millet, 
dish with a sour cream, um, like, a, like a sour cream sauce, per se. So basically, the millet, how it's made. So, we, you know, you, we get the millet. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's growing in the countryside. Uh, they uh, burn it and then pass it, uh, blend it, and turn it to, like, kind of like, I don't like, it's like, for me, I, I look at it as like making a pasta, just like how the Italian take very pride on making pasta. For me, it's like that's how you know laches, and then we turn it. We turn it into like a small ball. It's called aro. Um, I think if you watch this podcast, you want to learn more about it. Hopefully, you follow me, and you can able to ask questions. I could answer how to make lach. But um, uh, but basically, we make lach. We make the aro, and from the aro, you know, we cook it. And then the process of cooking it, we get water come to a boil. You add a little bit of salt. You throw your grain. You stir, 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 stir until it's smooth. You close the pot. You let it. You let it come to a simmer. And then you know you, and then you close and let it steam for the rest of the way. But it was just something. It was just something that very simple. But yeah, it was only one one ingredient, just the just the grain. That's it. And we just made the soul. You know, the soul was like someone, the old someone older would have been in charge of that. You know, which is people they get sour cream, uh, bring it, put it into sour cream, add it to the bowl, and then just add a little bit of sugar, and that was it. That was dinner. We ate that dinner every single night. Every single, <laughs> every single night, and the crazy part about it, like you know, it's maybe like what, 15, 15 people sharing one bowl. I am telling you, man. Like I am telling you, as soon as we put the bowl on the floor, we say go. Five minutes later, the food is gone. It's <laughs> oh my god! I mean, even now, it's like I still have the habit of eating fast. Like it's hard for me, you know. When I work in a restaurant, like yo, you know, you know, it's crazy because it just it started when I was young. Like literally, like five minutes later, five minutes might be too long. I'll say three minutes. You know what I mean? Like you only have a chance to really put your hand inside a bowl three times, and that's it. You know what I mean? So it taught you to be aggressive. You know, like. You know, like, I don't know. It just taught me a lot throughout, you know, but I, I realized I was good at it as a very young age. And then when I finally came back to the, uh, to the States, um, which was like maybe 15, 16, and uh, didn't speak English at the time. I was like, yeah, and couldn't write my name in English. I didn't know nothing about English. Um, what I knew was, uh, what I knew was the Quran that I learned. And I was like, here, here I am. Again, coming to a place where I don't know what's going on. I don't know the culture. You know, I feel so behind. You know, it was it was tough at the beginning, but um, I kept I kept uh, kept my hope up and uh, start watching dishes in a restaurant like seventeen, eighteen, and by nineteen I had a job working at a Mediterranean restaurant. Uh, mm-hmm. I worked working at a Mediterranean restaurant for about a year, and from there I went to Jap- went to work at a Japanese restaurant. Uh, it was like a Japanese, Japanese uh, barbecue. Uh, I worked there, learned a few Japanese words. They understand more about the culture. And then I had another job on top of that, worked in a Cuban restaurant. So now here I am learning, learning uh, Spanish. So now I can speak Spanish, not fluently, but able to get enough to communicate. So I was I was working in Spanish, working in Spanish in the morning. At night, I was working in a Japanese restaurant. So I always had double the experience. And from from that, uh, after I worked close about a year from that Japanese restaurant, I went to uh, work at um, Applebee's, surprisingly, because I wanted to understand how to run the kitchen. Whereas, like, you just expo. You know, expo is the person that calls out the tickets, you know? Because mm-hmm. the, the restaurant I was working for, the chef told me, if I want to learn how to expo and run the kitchen, you know, go to a fast food place and just, you know, they're trying to learn 
how to run a kitchen because anyway, it's chaos regardless. You know, we used to do like 1,800 people. Like, think about that, you know? Wow. Uh, and I was able to expo, run that kitchen that young of an age with confidence. At the beginning, it was so nervous, you know? But at the end, you know, food come back every time to complain. I never got in line trying to cook, but I just learned how to expo, which is a very uh, good uh, task, which is a good uh, skill to have early mm-hmm. in my culinary career. And then from there, I uh, went back to Mediterranean restaurant. Because the first restaurant I worked for, um, the chef had called me to work for the other restaurant. So I worked there for about a few months. Uh, and then uh, the executive chef that was there at the time, we didn't see eye to eye. So, you know, of course, we got into it one time. And and it just, it wasn't right. So the owner called me one time. He's like, you know, uh, I'm sorry that I brought you here so I can such you guys and see eye to eye to eye. So, and he asked me, what should I do next? You know, if I want to continue working here, what, uh, what else, what do I want to do? And then I asked myself, you know, I was like, I think I was like around 21, 21 or so, something like that. And from there, I asked myself, like, what do I really want to do? Should I quit this? And, you know, and for a second, I wanted, I almost, I was going to change my career to do air conditioning refrigeration, you know? Because I love at the end, regardless of what it is, I knew I love work with my hands. Mm-hmm. But um, thank God I, you didn't do that, because then you would have not <laughs> <seen> your recipes. <laughs> but yeah, of course. <laughs> but no. But eventually, I I realized how much cooking meant to me, you know, and how much how much love it, it, it brought me, how much joy that it brought me. So I left that job and worked for like American Bistro. Uh, Worked there for like two or three, like about about a few months, and then I went to an Italian restaurant where, oh my god, we made like seven or six pasta. Everything was homemade, and everything changed. You know, everything changed. Like here I am now, like you know, learning about the Italian culture, which was so cool. And I was you know working the pasta, making all these pasta. You know, it was it was a cool experience. And from there, I was like, you know what, I need to take this in a notch a little bit. I need, I want to uh, get more respect and understand what I'm doing better. So I decided to go to culinary school in Vermont, New England Culinary Institute. Um, didn't know anybody. It was an impulsive decision. Most of my life, all of my decisions, all, all, all the decisions I made in my life are all impulsive. So I went to <laughs> Vermont. Uh, didn't know anybody. It was crazy there. Um, but I came in, my head down, and... Uh, just got into it, you know. I, I was like a sponge, you know. And next thing you know, few uh, few months later, uh, it was an award that was given to uh, my classmate, and I was nominated the Gold Spoon Medal, which was the, one of my top top of my classes. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, oh man, I got something going on here. And uh, one of the executive one of the executive chef from the culinary school uh, told me that. Um, I think I should go, I should do an internship in Paris at this restaurant called Guy Sogua, which is a three Michelin star. And I, I still was, I was at school, you know, I was like thinking about where should I commit for my uh, internship. And after school was finished, I went, went back to New York and I was supposed to go to internship to Paris, but um, it didn't happen because I couldn't came up with the finance, you know, like I couldn't get the support that I needed from my parents, which I know it's tough, you know, like for African parents, like, oh, your 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 son want to want to become a chef, like what, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, mind you, my other all my other brothers was in college. Uh, one is like they're all graduated now, 
Uh, one is major like sociology, one is um, uh, um, social worker, you know. So here I am, I want to become a chef, you know, like my parents like, you know. So I mean, so I went to culinary school with making that decision on my own. And so, you know, I was at school five days a week and two days a week I was working, you know. So I was around the clock, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was grinding. And before the culinary school, I saved a little bit of money. But um, when the, my parents didn't support me through the uh, uh, the internship in Paris, so I just ended up staying in New York for like one month. After I did my, I finished my internship, I went to Cleveland, Ohio, because I just wanted to get away from everything, you know. Which was, um, I'm glad I actually did that. But when I went to Cleveland, everything was, you know, I went to Cleveland and worked for top two best restaurants, and had a chance to like, you know, cook for all these NBA players to come and hang out, and then you know, used to eat there, which was really cool. And from there, I met this chef named Chef. I heard about this chef named Chef Pia Chom. And I reached out to him through social media. Miraculously, he responded to, respond to me. And uh, he told me, I just, he, he thought, his thought was, I should just go back to my roots. Here I am, been back in America eight years and didn't, speak, didn't even speak good enough English. I don't think, I still do. I, I still don't. Uh, but... Um, no, I don't. But um, I, uh, so after eight years, graduate culinary school, working in all these amazing restaurants. So trying to call my dad one day and he said he's about to go to Senegal. So I, again, made an impulsive decision and go to Senegal without even thinking. I uh, left Cleveland just like that. Never looked back. And I went to Cleveland, Ohio. I went to Senegal for how long? Maybe, I think, two months. And... When I went, I didn't speak that good of a Wolof because I was trying to forget everything about Wolof at the time because I was young and confused, you know? But when I went there, everything started making sense. Like, yo, I need to do Senegalese cuisine. I need to do Senegalese food. I need to do <laughs> you know, Forget, because that's the thing, because when I graduated culinary school, it was no African good restaurants. And I, was, and I told myself, if I don't start that now, I, what's going to happen to the next generation that want to do what's African food, that want to do Senegalese food? You know what I mean? I have the training. I could use that towards my advantage. So after I went to Senegal, you know, got to go to the countryside and everything started making sense, you know, like seeing, you know, seeing these young kids that like I was in the same position that they were 10 years ago. You know what I mean? And I'm like, man, look at the opportunities that I got now. I need to do better. You know, I don't care how long it's going to take, but I need to do Senegalese food. So, mm-hmm. um, for my travel back to Senegal, back to the States, I met this group and organization called Giving Hope that's from New Orleans. And I was introduced to this guy named Cliff Hall, which he is, uh, um, uh, he, he owns a couple, he owns a business in, in New Orleans. So he's like, I, I know a great chef in New Orleans. Um, he, he worked at Commander's Palace. Um, he's a good friend of mine. So I think I can connect you guys. Here I am. I, I never been to the South. And, I was like, okay, sounds good. So after I came back from the States, I looked him up and I looked at Louisiana. I was like, oh my God, I'm in love with this city. This city is amazing. Uh, and I realized the restaurant that I wanted to work for, the chef was nominated as James Beard Award. And um, the restaurant had been around for like 80 years plus. So it's a very historic restaurant and it's part of the New Orleans culture for a very long time. And not to mention the connection, the Senegambia boat when they left, they arrived in Louisiana because you got to understand Louisiana back then was owned by the French French territory. So here I am, love the cuisine, love the history because I love history. So I'm like, wow, I got I need to connect the dots. And I realized when I came to New Orleans and I see all these 
uh, houses. I was supposed to be in. I was supposed to be in New Orleans for like three months just to check it out. And when I was when I was brought to New Orleans, I came to drive around the, uh, the, the town, and we went to. I went to French Quarter. I saw this place called Cafe Dumont. It's like, oh my god, they have these fabulous beignets, you know. It's like beignets, you know. I'm over here, you know. Beignets. I'm like thinking, and I'm thinking it's probably something else they call beignets. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So I went, I went to the like to the stand, and it's just like, like if that like that experience that I had if I was in uh, when I was in Senegal, where I was a young kid, you know, my parents would give me, and not my parents, you know, at the time, but you know, or my aunt, whatever, would give me like, like fifty cents or something. Oh, go, you know, go get some beignets, and I go in the line around six, seven o'clock, right before the sun go, the sun go down. <laughs> A long line, everybody just waiting, like in this hot beignets coming right from the fryer. It was just exactly that experience. It was exactly that experience. The only thing different was they added part of sugar on top. And then, of course, English. So instead of saying beignets, they add the S to it. So call it beignets. You know, in Senegal, we just call it beignet. So I'm like, wow, these people talking about this came from Louisiana. And everybody oh, in America, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> everybody in America thinks it's come from Louisiana. So I was like, wow. And next thing you know, I was, you know, I started working at Kemal's Palace. And so this restaurant was one of the biggest restaurants in the South, you know. Uh, it's maybe like what, 13 chefs, about like 30 cooks. You know, it's a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a big crowd. So I started it as a kumi, which means basically at the bottom of the bottom. It started as a dessert. Um, but I moved through the rank very quickly, very quickly. Uh, within like, uh, I'll say, um, how many months? Within... Uh, Four months, I was able to work. I was able. I was able to learn nine stations within four months. And mm-hmm. most of the, most of the people that was in that restaurant, I thought I was just fresh from the boat, and I t- I took that to heart. You know, I just pretend like I didn't speak no English. I didn't know nothing. Yeah, I just kept my head down and just you know and really take advantage. And next thing you know, they put me on this. Um, they invited this news article. Um, uh, the Tom Picayunes, which is like the you know the article that people that wrote the articles in Louisiana, they did this big thing about me. I was 24 at the time, you know, and I just realized I needed to start doing these events. So I started doing pop up dinners because uh, I had a scholarship at this uh, Southern Food Beverage Museum uh, to host dinners. Meanwhile, I still working a full time restaurant for a full time job at the restaurant. So I started doing these, these dinners, and people began to love it. I started mixing Creole with Senegalese, you know, trying to introduce it to people. But because everything here was the same. I over here had the thing called gumbo. I was like, what is gumbo? And I realized, you know, gumbo translates. Listen, I'm, I'm, about to get, I'm about to break it down to you, baby. <laughs> so, so, so gumbo, you know, if you translate the word gumbo to French, is gumbo is actually me okra. So in the classic gumbo, there's some people, the New Orleanians, which, what they call, some people that's from Louisiana don't know that the classic gumbo is actually uh, okra is seafood okra stew, like seafood okra, okra stew or okra soup, which is basically okra is the main one of the main ingredients in seafood. You know what I mean? And that was that. And in here, Louisiana, people add roux, so you know, which is the influence of thickening the soup. I was like, wow, this tastes just like the idea of supercanya. And one time, until I had people tell, oh, this is a real gumbo, add some okra. And some uh, uh, and seafood, and it was you know, it was, and I'm like, yo, this reminds me exactly like Supercanya, and I feel like but this is Supercanya, you know, and it connects <laughs> history again, you know, Senegambia, right in New Orleans, you know, you understand, you know, connecting history, I'm like wow, and you realize Senegal has Supercanya, 
because uh, okra grows in Senegal naturally because okra love hot places. So Senegal is like a really hot place, you know? So, and the reason why we add okra, the reason why it's called Sukutanje, okra too, because the, back then the libus, you know, which is the the, uh, the fishermen, you know, they were, because, you know, Senegal, when, 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 before Senegal, we got, we were colonized, you know, we have different mixture of ethnicity, you know, everyone uh, specialized in something, you know, but the libus were the one that were, that were the fishermen. So when the liberals, when they when they went to catch fish, someday they catch more fish than others. And back then, people didn't have no refrigerator, no refrigeration. They need to find a way. How can they um, make these fish? Uh, uh, how can they use these fish in different ways? So our grand, whatever you want to call it, our grandmothers, our grandfathers, you know, they were brilliant enough to get the fish, season it with salt, smoke it at the same time, let it dry over the sun. I'm like, oh my god, this is fermenting, you know. And they've been doing it for a generation. And now all these chefs in America are doing it in Europe. Like, oh, my God, we're doing fermentation. We, 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 we've been doing it for a long as <laughs> we've been alive. You know what I'm saying? And, and they get these baby fish. You know, you put it into the pot in the water. Because in Senegal, you only have one pot to cook with. Because you don't have a stove like in America. You got one pot. You get your little flame. You know, you, you got one pot to make everything. So you, you get your water come to, you know, you get the water come to your bowl. You add your dehydrated seafood. And what you do is that you bring that flavor. It's like making a stock. Here in America, you have to make a stock to make anything. But we don't have to make a stock because we use that dehydrated seafood. And it's pretty much the base of our cooking. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. you know, you get okra. You know, you, you pass through more pesto. You know, we mash it up. We add it inside to the pot. And when we add the okra inside the pot, let, it, let that cook it off. Eventually, the okra is what thickened in the pot. It's what thickened the soup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's interesting. And then the fresh seafood, you know what I mean? The fresh fish, the big fish, they add it towards the end. So it's like, it's very nice. It's very seafood. It's very nice in the uh, seafood and then a little bit of saltiness from the, and the smokiness from the dehydrated fish. And the only thing they need to, comp- to complete the dish was a fat content. So we didn't use butter. So guess what we use? Palm oil. You know, they are so brilliant. They're, and people, you know, like, it's, for me, it's like, whoa. Like my mind's like blowing. I'm connecting like, oh my God, they were so brilliant. Like I'm tasting super <laughs> I'm like, why is super so good? Because it's smoky, it's salty, it's is uh it's, it has acid, is uh acidity from uh it's, it's acidity, uh it has a beautiful fat from the palm oil, and it just makes sense. Like it just like, oh my god, this is this is gumbo or this is gumbo super I'm like, oh and it, it's like I figured these out on my own. It's not like I was researching. It was just like, it was just me sitting down and thinking. And as I realized, it was like, from there on, it was just like, oh my God. It's, uh, it's like a couple of things. What's another thing they, they have here? Um, what's, what's another dish that they have here? But it's like a very similar to Supercanje, Domada, Domada, Domada. So they have a dish here in New Orleans. I'm like, yo, this is crazy. I need to, I need to, yeah, exactly. Like, I need to tell people, you know, I need to tell people, I need to create this idea of Senegalese, uh, modern Senegalese food. So in a way where people could be introduced mm-hmm. to the community in a way that they relate to. Because if I just do Senegalese food, it would be too hard. But if I do modernize, and, and again, I'm Senegalese Americanized, you know, so I need to connect the dots in between. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I had some yeah, pecan for dinner today. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's on my mind right now, and the way you just described it. <laughs> I'm telling you, and I think and I want people to hear this and understand that. You know what I mean? And it's like, 
And that's just only two dish. And I could talk about like you know that's another conversation. What they say in New Orleans for another for another ball of gumbo. You know, because <laughs> you know, by the time I finish this, you know, it's, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be cool. But besides that, that is that is uh, my little bit of who Serene is, who I am, a little bit about my history. Um, but if you guys have any other question, feel free to ask me. I had to cut it off, but um, I know time's coming up. But um, that's why I don't like talk about my story very much because. <laughs> People want to know what is more to it. You know what I mean? And I think maybe someday oh, when I write the book, people can find out. The, people can find that. People can find out the ending. Yeah, because you're still living it. Like that was a very interesting timeline, and I just like how things just um, fit in together so perfectly. Like, because I was trying to understand, like, when, when, why does he like? Why do you make your recipes the way you did? What motivated you? And then mm-hmm. you talk about you know going to New Orleans, seeing the Senegalese or the African um heritage that still exists in that town and then you talk about your upbringing it's just it was very insightful so thank you for sharing all of that yeah no i think like we follow you on social media so we might have seen elements of this in your stories and in, in your profiles but i think hearing that story definitely ties everything together mm-hmm. exactly and it's crazy because that's why so many of it's sad to say so many of my senegalese people not super supportive because they don't understand the reason why i'm doing it and then and the, you have these other people not from where I'm from. And mm-hmm. when they hear the story and the reason why I do it, they're willing to support. And then, like I was saying, even in this, uh, um, uh, I was saying yesterday to this live chat that I was on, that I was like, um, people that's not from where I'm from are much more supportive than our own people. Because, you know, we just mm-hmm. don't think that, you know what I mean? And it's, it's so sad to say, but those people are not that's not are from they don't know understand about anything about African or anything about Senegalese cuisine per se. When they hear something different, they they want to know what it's about. They want to they want to discover it, you know. And I I love telling people how great Senegalese how great Senegal is as a country. So for sure, for sure. Well we have three more questions for you. Sure. Mm-hmm. Feel free. The first one is what is your favorite dish? You talked about supakanya like you were talking about an Oscar. <laughs> or so I would like to know so kind of your favorite dish or do you have a, like another favorite dish and this is not a favorite mm-hmm. dish that you like to cook per se but like for it can me, be something you like to eat for me is I don't I wouldn't say I have favorite dish because it's not fair because I love seasoning things I love everything that's in season I love but something that comforting food that I would say uh, I don't know if you consider that favorite but comforting food would be um uh, uh, sumbi, which basically means a rice pudding, you know, which is something that I ate because I had no other option. You know, if you had rice that I ate from the boarding school from left overnight, we use that in the morning, and then we make a a a, a, a rice pudding out of it. And that was sumbi, and that's what I had. And now, with my culinary experience and uh, skills, I can make that dish into something completely beautiful. You know, it's like re- recreating my childhood into a dish. Uh-huh. Mm. So yeah, that is I think that is one comfort food that I really love uh, eating. Interesting, that's powerful. And I saw your recipe, your sombi recipe, on your page, and you just definitely take a modern twist to it. You definitely make it seem much more appetizing than how we remember it from childhood. No, for sure, because you no, know, it's to me, it's just I'm not just serving you food. I'm serving you history. I'm serving you uh, 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 struggle. I'm serving you. I'm serving you love, like mm-hmm. everything. It's Senegal. The motherland, like, you know, like, it's just to me, it's just food to me. That's why I'm very passionate when it comes to it. You know, I talk with passion because, and I don't want people to get the, the mistake between the passion and ignorant. 
or or being cocky. You know what I mean? I'm just full of passion because I love I love my cuisine good enough that people people don't realize. So I need to I need to I need to express it. Oh, mm. for sure. Definitely comes across. Yeah, for sure. So what other, what other question you guys have for me? I have one. Um, what's your signature dish? Hmm. Like that's, that's, that if you had to go on like um, beat Bobby Flay. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. If I had to go, if I if I had to go beat Bobby Flay, I'll just tell. Let's let's just make table jump. There's no way he's beating me. <laughs> yeah, table jump. So those that don't know, it basically mean a rice and fish. Jollof rice, the original. Hold on, hold on. Jollof rice is another conversation for another day. <laughs> but just to just to like like end that sentence and just put a period on it um, is a uh, rice and fish. Uh, and pretty much the rice it looks like a it looked like what, what Nigerians and Ghanaians call jollof rice. And jollof is actually a word from the word wolof, the jollof, and wolof was a wolof, and jollof was a tribe in wolof. You know what I mean? So it makes sense where the Jollof come from. But Senegal is not a big country as these other uh, West uh, West con- other countries on West Africa. So you know we don't we don't we don't we don't talk about our cuisine as much. But Jollof come from the Wolof, and if you know Senegalese language, the name is called Wolof. So just connect the dots. You know? That's just if you're smart enough, you know you can read the lines. God damn it! <laughs> but excuse my friend. But um. But yeah, that, that that's 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 that. But I think my favorite dish, I I think to cook would be, um, uh, my favorite. Yeah, I think it'd be, I think it'd be, it would be chibujan. Plus, it means a lot, you know. And something else I want to share. But one of my aunt that um, that was great cook in Harlem. Um, she used to make the best chibujan in the world, and she worked at a restaurant for most of her life, and. God be with her soul, but you know I hope she's rest in peace. And but yeah, and she was a great dish at it. So mm-hmm. it was, it's, you know, it's, and it's also emotional every time I cook it. I see. Thank you for sharing that. Of course, of course, of course, my pleasure. But I just want to say thank you guys so much for doing what you're doing. Uh, I think I uh, hope people are uh, listening to this and learn something from it. And please support. Mm-hmm. Me support who you guys are and i truly respect what you guys are doing and i hope this uh thing could be bigger than what you guys expected and i hope and i think it will and i know it will and I just keep doing it out of love and i think that's why I, that's why i advise everybody whatever you do in life just do it with love and, and everything else will come will come will come second